Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. The robot scientist's daughter is a tightly controlled molecule. Sometimes she threatens to explode into antimatter to shatter the equilibrium. This program features the work of 2013 writer Janine Hall Gailey. Curator Stephanie Kalis sat down with her for an interview. When I think about science and I think about poetry, those things kind of go together for me. I, I've been writing poems about scientific subjects from, from the beginning. I mean, I wrote my first poems on the old TRS-80 computers, and I, I wrote code at the same—I learned kind of code and poetry kind of at the same age. So those things have always gone together in my mind. I use humor in really inappropriate ways um, most of the time. Um, I, I like using humor in, in not offensive ways, but I think ways that people find strange because they'll say, this is a really dark poem, but you've got these really funny parts. And I said, yes, that's the way I write about dark subject matter is I use humor because that makes it less, you feel less vulnerable when you're laughing. Now we'll hear a selection from Janine's live reading. I'll be reading a couple of poems from this uh, Jack Straw anthology you have in your hands, as well as another poem or two from the same project, which is a book manuscript called The Robot Scientist's Daughter, about growing up in Oak Ridge with my father, who consulted in nuclear waste cleanup as a robotics specialist. The interesting thing about Oak Ridge is that's where they built the bombs that they dropped on Hiroshima, and it's never really stopped uh, being an active site for uh, nuclear radiation work. So, And then uh, after that, I'll read a couple of poems from my third book that just came out from New Binary Press called Unexplained Fevers about the heroine's journey in Grimm's fairy tales, uh, where Snow White has chronic fatigue syndrome, Sleeping Beauty's addicted to morphine, and advice is hidden in the subtext. So I hope you enjoy. The first poem is called Cesium Burns Blue. Cesium burns with a blue light, explodes on contact with water, and has a highly radioactive isotope which was used in experiments at Oak Ridge. It's also the major contaminant at Fukushima. It can cause mental instability if absorbed through the skin or ingested. Children ingesting produce grown in contaminated soil might exhibit mental symptoms as well as physical later in life. Cesium burns blue. Copper burns green, sodium yellow, strontium red. Watch the flaming lights that blaze across your skies, America. There are burning satellites even now being swallowed by your horizon, the detritus of space programs long defunct, the hollowed masterpieces of dead scientists. Someone is lying on a grassy hill, counting shooting stars, wondering what happens when they hit the ground. In my backyard, they lit cesium to measure the glow. Hold it in your hand, foxfire, wormwood, glowworm. Cesium lights the rain, absorbed in the skin, unstable, unstable, dancing away, ticking away in bones, fingernails, brain. Sick, burns through, burns blue. <laughs> so yeah, so. Uh, this next poem uh, considers what happens to the uh, mad scientist in pop culture films, especially from the 50s. And um, I, there is actually a movie that I reference here called Killer Shrews, uh, <laughs> where there is actually a mad scientist's daughter who helps rescue the hapless heroes. So that's what this next poem is about. The Robot Scientist's Daughter in Film. The Robot Scientist's Daughter is always beautiful in films and a neat blonde updo and 50s-style dress. 
She helps the hero escape, leads him off the island or planet. She gives him the code to shut down the robots before they take over the world. The robot scientist's daughter carefully holds on to secrets about her father at the dinner table. She's demure, but knows her way around a gun rack or a test tube. She sneaks out to rescue prisoners after her father has a drink. The robot scientist's daughter must be there to humanize the robot scientist. He is both a protagonist we identify with and a villain we know must fall. If he had no daughter, the camera would have no way to enter the laboratory with a sympathetic eye. Sometimes the robot scientist's daughter pretends to be a robot herself, handing out food efficiently without smudging her makeup. Sometimes she turns out to be a robot all along, implanted with heartwarming but false memories. Sometimes she has a telepathic link to genetically engineered dinosaurs. When she was a child, she had only robots to play games with, mostly hide and seek and chess. This both helped and hurt her socialization. The robot scientist might be named Morbius, but his daughter is named Susan. <laughs> she will be the downfall, the island crumbling, scientists buried beneath the rubble, killer shrews loosed upon the world. So, <laughs> killer shrews, look it up. It's, it's so this is the last one from that series. The robot scientist's daughter, Polonium-210. These statements are all true of the element um, Polonium-210. The robot scientist's daughter is a tightly controlled molecule. Sometimes she threatens to explode into antimatter, to shatter the equilibrium. Other times she teeters on the edge of decay, a half-life of skin and soul. Shake her if you will, don't stand too close. She is radioactive, so her half-life is short. She is extremely unstable. She is toxic. Inhalation or consumption can lead to death. She is considered fairly volatile. She can be contained within paper. She glows bright blue. She is a showstopper. So that's the end for theirs. And now, uh, this, so this is a couple. I like to think about what advice we should be reading uh, in the pages of Grimm's fairy tales. I always wondered about this when I was a little kid, and, and I'm still wondering about it now. So <clears throat> this is kind of made up of different pieces of advice I've, I've tried to gather. I forgot to tell you the most important part. Without this knowledge, you'll never make it. It's one part fashion advice and two part survivalism. Learn to talk to people so they think you're honest, but never be honest. Cooking eggs may save your life, so crack them, neat and firm, pour into the skillet, and stir gently. Forget about your shoes. People will judge you by your shine, the imminent light you offer them. Be the lamppost in the wilderness. Be the elephant in the showroom. If you steal the idol, make sure to carry a weighted bag of sand. No surprises. We've lied about having it all. It's either the piano or the pit viper. Cinderella's shoe came off at midnight because it hurt. And Red Riding Hood's real story involved cannibalism and a striptease. <laughs> Don't wear red lipstick. Don't you kiss your mother with that mouth? Long bangs hide a multitude of sins. Ask your grandmother about the herbs she used to swallow while pregnant. The butterflies here didn't start out black. They were white as onion skin, and the forest more ominous before the smokestacks. Well, here's your little basket and red coat, sweetheart, sweet meat, smile like you mean it, shake what you've got while you've got it, go out into the world and knock them dead. <laughs> so I've always liked the story of Jack and Jill. I don't know why, but it seems like very much the, the story of a middle-aged couple's marriage, doesn't it? <laughs> so this is called In Which Jack and Jill Decide Whether to Climb Yet Another Hill. <laughs> 
When this new narrative began, it had nothing to do with moving trucks or hospital rooms. It started with clover and costumes, charming children and clamoring crowds, less claustrophobic. It all turned on a dime, the tipping point, and then the long trip down. We swore we would follow each other anywhere, but anywhere turned out to be a lot like Ohio. <laughs> so we headed for the coast, the climate cool and the clouds less dramatic. Somehow we turned 30 without thunderous applause, our dreams dissipating into piles of paper. We stopped trying to perform pirouettes, preferring to keep our feet on the ground. We've sunk into the hard mud of a river valley, fingernails turning blue for lack of oxygen. Time to conjure some new magic, one more act for the play, where the pop-top lid reveals not snakes but snapdragons, where the earth stops keeping count of the mornings and shakes us loose. Our backpacks loaded with crocus bulbs and rosemary, ready to set root. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2013 curator of this program is Stephanie Kalis. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Christine Brown. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. 